This episode of the Wandering Aimfully Show, aka Wandering Aimfully the Show, aka Wayne Show. <laughs> Wayne is, the Show. Is, uh, <laughs> the show it, called we Wayne. We discuss picking one name for the show. No, uh, <laughs> we talk about therapy. That's right. And I'm really excited about this episode because therapy is something that I'm very passionate about. Caroline's been through three therapists. No, I'm kidding. I just thought it'd be fun to <laughs> say just, it that way. They keep kicking me out. No. <laughs> um, so in this show, you are going to see us or hear. slash hear us cover a whole range of topics. Um, I kind of lead off with my therapy journey and why I decided to go to therapy in the first place and the different types of therapists that I've had and how they kind of the insights that I've gleaned from all of those. Um, we talk about, has Jason ever considered therapy? We talk about, have we ever considered therapy together? The old couples therapy argument. No, I'm just kidding. No <laughs> argument. Uh, but yeah, if this is something that interests you because therapy can have a little bit of a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. We don't see it that way. And we discuss all of the finer points points of our experience with it and we hope that it brings you some type of enlightenment when it comes to therapy whether it's something that you look for or maybe you know someone who might uh, need it you could send them this episode or this show yeah and we hope that it helps you prioritize your mental health and um hope you enjoy the show dive in hey there we're jason and caroline zook a husband and wife team who believes life is just one big experiment this is the show where we share our journey as we figure out this ever-changing thing called life. We cover topics like running a business, traveling the world, and clawing our way out of debt, all with the hope of inspiring you to live, work, and create with more intention. Life might bring its twists and turns, but when you know who you are and what you want, you're never really lost. Welcome to Wandering Aimfully, the show. Let's just high five again. Feel that connection? Now, do you feel like our show is going to be therapy for other people? This show or our show in general? I think people are going to be like, man, they really talked through some stuff. I don't need to go to therapy now. <laughs> What'd I do? Well, you were talking to the side of the microphone. You know how I get. Like over here? Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Um, now, do you think that you're going to think that you've gone to therapy because of this I, podcast? I feel like I've gone to therapy for many years. You haven't. Not because of this podcast. Although I really do believe... Uh, wow, we're getting into it. Yeah, we're okay. just jumping right in. Um, I really do believe that two things have been instrumental for my journey. And three things have been instrumental. Three pillars of my therapy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number one, choosing you as a life partner. Great yeah. choice. Solid choice. Uh, keep your applause choice, really. to a minimum on the emotional <laughs> uh, applause support. Uh, number two is... Writing uh -huh. has been incredibly therapeutic totally. for me. And then number three, I would say, is my own podcast, the Action Army podcast before this, because it was an outlet, mm -hmm. you know, and I think therapy is very much an outlet, uh, a vehicle for, for, an out, for an outlet of emotion and discussion and things. Definitely. So all that being said, let's dive into our episode here on therapy. Okay. Do you have some good hard-hitting questions that you want to lay on me? I don't know. Where do we begin? Tell me about your childhood. <laughs> well, You're laughing, but like I just came from a therapy appointment. Yeah, 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 so like yeah. I was talking a lot about my yeah. childhood. Um, and where do we start? So maybe my, my first question for you yes. as the person in our family who has gone to actual therapy to see therapists. Uh -huh. When did that start? Why did it? Why did you do that? Great question, Jason. Thank you. Did you ever do it before we were together? No. Okay. No. Oh, and, that's, a, that's a bad sign. And honestly, I didn't. 
actually, I'm thinking back now and I didn't, didn't know anyone personally that had been to therapy, nor did my, had my parents ever gone or that thing, the closest thing I think I'd ever gotten was like when my parents got divorced when I was like very young in like kindergarten and my, my mom got remarried. They, they like sent me to a guidance counselor and, and it put me through like your parents are divorced mediation or something. And we like read books about like blended families and things like it was super weird. And I just remember they were like dinosaurs. And I just remember like reading these books and being like, guys, like I, I know what you're doing. For me, that for me, I I just watched the movie Blended. Blended. That was right. it. Well, That's we, we didn't have that when I was four, you know. Well, I didn't either. I just <laughs> years, later, years later I watched. I was like, like, oh, wow, that's what it is. Multiple families. Okay, no, but that's it. really funny that I'm thinking about that now. I'm like, like as my four year old self who was almost like, I see what you guys are doing here. Like, yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, but so the reason that I started going to therapy, as you remember, was in 2014 when I had just started Made Vibrant in the January of that year. And around summertime, I almost seemingly overnight started having crippling anxiety, like couldn't breathe, felt every night like I had like I always described it like an elephant on my chest. Now, if you had an actual elephant on your chest, you'd, I would, you'd be dead. I would die. You'd be 100% dead. But it kind of felt like that. Yeah. It felt like I, I could like. Whoa, dramatic. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And um, definitely like for me, it shows up a lot in my chest and it was, oh, and then I had the weird skin yeah. rash. Yeah. So that's actually where it was. So it was a combination of that chest feeling, but then also I had this really weird skin thing develop, which was bumps over pretty much my entire body. And I went to a dermatologist, they took a biopsy, they couldn't figure out what it was. And, um, finally after seeing a bunch of people like going to a gastroenterologist, uh, whatever, wherever, GI, you, a where, GI doctor. wherever you got your awesome socks from colonoscopy, <laughs> <laughs> which we call the colonoscopy socks. You know, no the best, endoscopy. Different. The first form of therapy you ever did colonoscopy. <laughs> it, was, it was an endoscopy. And I want to make that very clear, very different. So in here, not in there. Here. Got it. Got there. it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and so I thought maybe I had celiac disease because sometimes skin stuff can be, uh, present itself that way. Nobody could like tell me what the source of this weird skin thing was until I went back to the dermatologist and she sat me down and she's like, you know, we don't know the cause, but have any significant life changes happened in, in the recent, you know, past? And I was like, huh, I'm like, you mean just like becoming solely responsible for my own income and my like, boyfriend firing me, right, my boyfriend firing me from his business. <laughs> like what? No, maliciously. Um, no. And she was like, well, it's possible that some of this is your body's reaction to stress and to anxiety. And have you thought about seeing somebody for that? And it had never even occurred to me. I was like, what do you mean this could be in my head? You know what I mean? But I was at that point desperate to figure out like what was going on with me. So I found a local therapist and we were super struggling with money at that time. Um, But I found, I called this therapist and uh, she said she had some sort of like kind of financial aid or sliding scale available. And so um, she, it was still wasn't cheap, but you know, it was something that I could, you and I sat down and talked about it and you were like, if there's anything that we should spend money on, it's your mental health. So, and I went to her only a handful of times um, and we'll get into like the differences in my many therapists. Like I'm now on my third therapist as we've moved and as I've grown, but as they've all just been like, can't handle you. They can't handle you. We got to pass you. No, (laughs) looking back, she, her methods were not my favorite. Like looking back, she was a little bit clinical for my taste. Mm. Um, and even I remember like in her office, I sat in like a very upright chair and it just wasn't like a super comfortable environment 
environment for me, but within just like two sessions of seeing her, I remember feeling like my, I, I felt a weight, like I felt a weight lifted a little bit. Like I felt, started feeling a bit of relief. And for anyone who struggled with anxiety, you know that one of the very worst feelings in the whole world is when you start to spiral and you start to go, am I going to feel like this forever? And that I was really in that place of like, am I, am I going to wake up and feel like an elephant has been sitting on my chest forever? And I can't speak to anybody else's experience, but I now know years later that, that it's not a forever thing and it still shows up in my life in different ways. But that feeling of like every day, I can't think of anything else except for this new and foreign feeling that is affecting my whole life. I don't experience that level of, you know, that anymore. So I think therapy from that standpoint has really helped me cope with anxiety. Um, so that was sort of like my, my first journey into it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of little nuggets, uh, little nuggets to jump into here. Let's peel them back. Um, one of the first things I would just like to get out of the way, if someone has listened this far and they're like, Whoa, Jason's being a jerk. He's making a lot of offhanded comments about her therapy. I just, I would like everyone to know that I, I think I've been the biggest supporter Are of you your self-conscious? therapy. self-conscious? Do you feel no, like... Uh, not so much self-conscious as much as I don't want people to think I'm a jerk you're, about your therapy. Right, which yeah, you're not. Which I'm not at no, all. You've I'm, been very supportive. Yeah. In fact, I would even say one of the toughest points, I think, in our relationship was that time when... Do you remember this? Like, I remember this specific conversation we had in the parking lot of the Starbucks that was by Roy's in Ponte Vedra. And we were in there, and I just remember you were so like not frustrated, but you were just so like sad because you wanted to help me. Yeah. So that was so badly. Yeah. That was the next thing I was going to touch on. So you going through this first bout of anxiety and probably not the first bout if we're, you know, like, yeah, I think you probably, you talked Realize. about this. You've had you later on, you've realized you've incurred encountered this before. Yeah. I have never experienced anything like that. I right. mean, the truthfully, I think the most like, mental to physical trauma I think I've ever felt is like before I played uh like my first game of basketball mm -hmm. in high school seriously that's like the only one that I can think of where like where you felt it in your I just whole body. I literally felt like I feel like more than sick like yeah. not just like oh I feel nervous but like I can't even do this like mm -hmm. I don't that's like the one first time and then after that like I don't think I've ever felt it again and it's it, I was gonna say being on the other side of especially that very beginning of that journey it felt very helpless. I know it felt super helpless for you, but as the significant other, as the person who cared so much for you in that time, like just watching you. And I remember going on walks cause we used to take an afternoon mm -hmm. walk with Plaxico who's down there. Um, is just, you know, you getting out of the house and going for that walk was even challenging. And mm -hmm. just, I just remember like, is there anything I can do? Mm -hmm. Is there like, am I doing enough? Am I saying the right things? Do I need to put a, a cold compress on your head? Like, what can I do? I just, I, yeah. I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And I remember too, on the other side of things, it's a, it becomes a layered thing, right? Because f number one, not layered Hamilton, not layered Hamilton. Okay. Surfer. Yes. Cool. Sports. Um, <laughs> kept the coffee Nailed in. it. Kept the coffee in my mouth. Um, but it was super layered because on the one hand, I'm, I'm feeling this sensation or having this awareness of anxiety for the first time. I'm seeing how helpless you feel. And then I start judging myself because I'm like, I want to get out of it as badly as you want me to get out of it. Or I want to help myself as badly as you want to help me. And then feeling bad for you and then realizing, oh, also your needs weren't being met at that time. Like you were pretty like, Literally I mean, propping up the household more so than you already do. Needs, if you know what I mean. 
gross. Laun- it's no laundry. 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 Babe, this is a Code- PG-13 Code show. Code word, laundry. <laughs> um, all the viewers now are going to be like, guys. <laughs> I picture like the emojis. Yeah. Like- <laughs> We're all doing laundry this week. Uh, that's um, kind of funny. But like, I, that was really hard of being like, knowing that I wanted to be there for you also and like be a full participant in our relationship. But at that moment, it was more important for me to like turn inward and just say, give myself permission to like not judge myself in that. Um, and I remember also a thing that helped me in those early kind of like figuring it out anxiety things was like, if I can just, I call it as a weird metaphor for it, but I call it stop the bleeding if I can do anything to stop the bleeding, which means to me, it's like, I I don't have to fix it right now. I just need to stop from spiraling. You know what I mean? So I just need to, I don't need to concentrate on like digging myself out of a hole. I just need to concentrate on not digging myself further. Mm -hmm. And for me, the only thing that helped with that was just, it sounds overly simplistic, but telling myself this will get better. Every time in my brain, because especially at night when I before I'd fall asleep, I used to dread falling asleep because that's when my mind would like really race. My mind would inevitably spiral to those places of I will never feel the same again. I will never be normal Caroline again. I will never experience what it's like to just walk around and not have this feeling. And then I would just go, no, I will. I will get past this. I will get, I will figure out a way to cope with this. And as, like I said, as simple as it is, just even if I didn't believe it in that moment, just not allowing myself to go there, kind of like quote unquote airplane quotes. Mm, throwback, throwback. <laughs> throwback, throwback. Um, that, that allowed me to like stop the bleeding, stop digging deeper. And then I could like go and get help and go to therapy. And that eventually helped me climb out of that. Yeah. I wanted to share, um, just specifics because I'm a very practical person and transparent person. And I think the sessions were a hundred bucks around there. Yeah. Around a hundred bucks. And, and that for us at the time, like we were just super strict budget trying to spend no money at all. Um, and even that felt like a big expense, especially I think when it's something where it's an unknown, you know, it's like, is this going to work? And, and it's kind of weird as a society, it's almost like we, we give a financial pass to medicine as we know it, like pills, especially Mm -hmm. and going like, okay, well I'm going to spend a hundred dollars on pills. These are going to work because it's proven, but it's not. I mean, and it's really interesting. I think we really shifted our mindset. I think after that and seeing the positive results of that, even if it was incremental positivity, it was great that like you didn't have to get on some type of pill to cope with this. It was more, you could go and actually figure out like, what is the root of this problem? What is causing this? And I can spend a hundred dollars per, I think it was twice a month you went because I don't think it was weekly at that time. It was definitely it? wasn't weekly. Yeah. Maybe we made it twice a month. Yeah. I only think I went to three sessions, but I want to make it really clear. And it's important to me that, that I don't judge anybody for going on medication for some type of mental illness. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's definitely a very personal journey. Completely. And I, and I'm a very big proponent in like biochemistry and like I don't want to begin to know the intricacies of the chemistry that happens in our brains. I have three uh, medical science degrees. Degrees. We can go back to a previous episode to remember what those are. Um, But I want to make that really clear that if there is no judgment of anyone who does decide that medication is the best route for them to get out of or, or help cope with whatever they're dealing with. For me, I knew that my, my struggle wasn't didn't feel like it was in a depression place where it was like, I can't like I'm clouded. I don't feel like myself. It wasn't that it felt like there were some deep, 
deeper rooted things based around anxiety that I did feel like therapy was the best route for me. So it's completely personal, I think. And it's between you having that discussion with like the trusted professionals that you decide to see. Um, but I wanted to try and see if I could work through some of the deeper rooted stuff and not go the medication route. And that's just because we try to stay away from medication in all aspects of our life and just see what can I do to heal my body naturally. And if I need intervention at that point, then I can use that to step in. So anyway, that's my soapbox of like medication. So, um, that was the first time you tried therapy. Yep. And then, so I only went to her a handful of times, um, because it was, I believe, yeah. Cause then 2015 we moved. Yep. And so, um, that Which is kind of interesting because there was a transition both in life again after that. So it was, you started Made Vibrant, uh, my business shut down, we had a lot of uncertainty, mm-hmm. the anxiety popped up, you started going to therapy, then Made Vibrant started as this, this like client-focused business where you're doing client work, and you started making online courses, Yeah, and those actually started to make money to replace the client work, and it was really like, kind of like, the stars started to align in those things. And then we decided to move to California. So it was like all these things I think then led up to, Oh, I feel so much better. Like all the pressure. And I will, I will say that that wasn't just a stars aligning thing. That was, so during the time that I was making the shift from client work to product based stuff, like online courses, I was recognizing that a lot of my anxiety was coming from, placing too much weight on the expectations of other people. Mm -hmm. And, and if you have some like deep rooted, like, I don't want to use the word trauma too lightly, but if you have like unresolved trauma around expectations of other people and needing to please people and needing to seek approval, and you put yourself in a scenario where your livelihood depends on seeking approval from people, seeking validation from people, it was just this recipe for anxiety. And I remember having this thought with myself where my instinct was to be like, no, I need to get through this. I can't just, you know, opt out of client work because I, I'm like too sensitive for it, you know? And I was like, that's bullshit. Yes, I can. Like the whole reason that I like have decided to take this route in life where I get to choose my own job is for that purpose. Exactly. Like to put myself, I think Kristen Bell always puts it like to maximize happiness and minimize suffering. And like, I don't, there's no friend, Kristen Bell, our friend, Kristen Bell. Like, I don't know if you guys know her, but like Kristen and Jax (laughs) haven't invited us over for a while, but, um, and so I love that contrast because it was like, I don't need to put myself in this like suffering place just to prove something to myself or power through or anything. I was like, I can just, maybe I could get better at this if, if I stuck with it for five years, but guess what? I'm not willing to suffer for five years. So it was a very conscious choice for me. And yes, the, so the stars aligned piece was that at that moment I did have, I, once I placed an, an effort on trying to get an online course going, it did sort of pop. And then I was able to make that transition and then we moved. Um, so, so that was definitely coming out of that dark place. Um, but I did that. And, and people who are in that anxiety place can make choices that can put themselves in a better place to heal, I think. And, yeah. And that's about taking ownership. And when know? I said stars align, I really meant like, we created the alignment of those stars. Completely. So, um, so we are the masters of the stars. We are the star masters, as you know. Rewrite the stars. Um, super anal retentive Jason thing. Just side note. Can you slide that plant back just slightly? Because it's <laughs> bouncing. What's it doing? The pillow is pushing against oh, it. And no, it's, babe. And the when I, pushing it? I know. When I do your close-up, it's just going to be like vibrating and distracting. And it's going to hurt your feelings. Yeah, it's just going to make me... Do you think I'm going to knock it over? No, I don't think so. If you push from the base down there, you should be from all right. From the base. Yeah, from, push the, ace, from the base. From the ace of base. Slap it a base. 
Yeah. What? Yeah, you kind of need to go backwards more than you need to go that way. This is very important that everyone sees how we handle these things. Yeah, that's the money move right there. Now, how do we feel? Ah, so, whoo! Success! And we're back at it. So, we moved to San Diego, and in that time, probably didn't see a therapist for... I didn't. Six months to a year? Six months. Six months. Because we only lived in Poway for a year, and I started seeing her when we lived in Poway. Who did you start seeing? I started seeing, so my second therapist, I don't, I don't even remember my first therapist's name, to be honest. My second therapist, I, her name was Vivian. No, we don't, no. And Jason affectionately nicknamed her. The Vivster. The Vivster. So every time <laughs> I would come home from a. The best part is when you think of the person in your mind when I say the Vivster, you think like young, effervescent, exciting, hip. That was not the Vivster. Well, she was all those things, but not in a young person's body. But she, so she wasn't she was, all those things. She was vivacious. She had great energy. But she was gray-haired and older, correct? Not gray-haired. Oh, I she thought she said blonde. she was gray Oh, in my mind, I always you pictured her as gray, gray hair. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Yeah, that's but why the Vivster was even funnier for me. I was living a whole different story. I don't know how old she was. Maybe in her... 70s. Li- <laughs> 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 Maybe in her late 50s. 104. Anyway, um, maybe in her late 50s. All right, so but you saw the Vibster. Vibster was great. She was my... So at that point, I had only been with that first therapist. And she was my first like experience in understanding how much a therapist matters. It matters who the person is. Now, let's also t- talk about, before we get to you seeing the Vibster why, like, were you feeling good enough that you didn't need to see anybody and then you just started feeling bad again? Or what was mm, the it catalyst? Was, I will tell you exactly what it was. So we lived with Clay and Julia. Yep. So we were living with another couple. When we moved to California, our first place we rented. Right. And I recognized that in living it with close quarters with other people who weren't, like, as I was as comfortable as I am with you, it just conversations and things would hold up a mirror and show me things about myself that I wanted to dive deeper on, if that makes sense. And I found myself, so my main reason for going to the Vivster was around a lot of social interactions. So I was having a lot of social anxiety. I was finding, because we did a lot of stuff with them and, and they were very well connected. So they would have people come over to the house all the time and we would do dinner parties and things like that. And I started recognizing some of these patterns I would get in with social situations. By the way, all the time is like, once, maybe twice a month. So dinner for parties? us, yeah, yeah, for well, us. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, but, setting but the stage. But we had dinner every night, the four of us. Yeah, yeah. So I'm that's... just setting the stage for people to be like, oh, I see people way more than that. Or I see people way less than that, so that they can kind of equate, like, what does yeah. that mean? Anyway. Anyway. Maybe not it just, important. It seemed but... like a more social living situation. It, well, 100%. It was actually the most social living situation yeah. ever. Living 200% in, increase? Right, 200% increase. Yes. I'm really bad. 100% increase. Dang it. Sorry, I'm still bad at those. Um, so that was my reason for going to her and she just had this different energy. It was much more, I think this is a California thing too. Super intuitive. Like she was very artistic. She was based out of La Jolla. So she just had this like cool artsy energy to her. This was just the general feeling. Yeah. That's the artsy energy feeling. Um, Everyone at home do this real quick. If you're listening to this on the podcast, sorry, we are, what would you say? This is kind of like walk like an Egyptian, except the hands are both in the same spot and you're just kind of doing like a little wiggle. So that's a wiggle. Yeah. And she was awesome. And I really feel like that was a positive experience. I still only went to her once every other week. 
Mm. But I did that for a good number of months. Yeah, that was that was wild. I remember. So that was. It's kind of interesting. About the, six months, because we. The only reason I stopped going to her is because we, we moved. moved. Yeah. The. It's kind of interesting the difference between just your transportation to all these therapists. So like the one in Jacksonville, Florida, was like an hour away. So it was like a two hour drive. So yeah. that was, that must've been interesting because you had all this time to think about the conversation you're going to have and then unpack the conversation. Oh, it was, yeah. Vivster was probably about the same ish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending. Um, I think I went down there with you like once or twice just because La Jolla is kind of a cool area from where we lived. Um, and then your most recent therapist, which we'll talk about, I've driven you to every single one. So like it's very quick too. It's three minutes yeah. away from our house. So it's just a such super Silly, weird side. Random. Yeah. Well, and also I think the closer your therapist is, like the more, like probably the easier it is for you to like It's like anything, go. right? Yeah. Like the gym like the is, gym, yeah, yeah, the gym is 20 minutes away. It's much harder to yeah. get to. But, um, so I really, I loved Vivian's energy. I felt I'm like. I'm sorry, who? The Vivster. Thank you. Her energy. I felt like she really kind of understood me and she helped me through a lot of those like social anxiety things. Um, Do you remember the biggest takeaway that you got from her? Cause I, I have a biggest takeaway that I remember you getting from her. Um, a couple of different things. I remember her specifically giving me this kind of, like, I think I was telling her about a specific situation with a person and I was expecting her to be like, well, you just need to work through it with X, Y, and Z. And instead she gave me a totally opposite answer was like, sometimes you just need you to give yourself permission to kind of put up your armor and just, you don't have to let that person into your life. You don't have to let that person affect your, like, you don't have to mold yourself to fit that person basically. And just right. saying like, there are going to be some people that for whatever reason you have to be around or whatever. And their energy is not serving you. And rather than trying to work so hard to work through that, you can just give yourself permission to be like, this is not a person that I need to get my energy to. Yeah. Does that, what, is that what you were thinking? Uh, a little bit. The one that really stood out to me was the problems that another person has. I don't need to take on that guilt or the, that energy. Yeah. And I think that that's been a big thing that we've learned about you. And that has probably just increased as you've gotten older is your empathy and your feeling for other mm -hmm. people around you. And you call it your exposed nerve. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's how you are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just like, it's almost like the nerve has gotten more exposed as you've gotten. And it's probably because there's a lot less social interaction. So, you know, that's how those things kind of, well, I think it's coincide. also like, it's, it's, it's the older you get too, and realizing some of you taking some of your walls down. And so it's like the more vulnerable you get, the more you're going to put yourself in those situations to be exposed. But it's so funny. Cause we actually talked about that in my session today was like, I still have work to do on that. I sometimes I take on the discomfort of other people. Like I'd rather if you said something, you being a friend of mine said something that hurt my feelings. My name's Roger. Roger. Yeah. You said something to hurt my feelings. Rod Roderick. 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 You said something to hurt my feelings instead of bringing that up to you sometimes and saying, Hey, you said this. Like I know your you hair looks like crap today. Yeah. We know it doesn't, but okay. Of course not. <laughs> Roderick. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of saying like, Roderick, you saying that really hurt my feelings. Sometimes in that moment, I know you didn't mean it or whatever. In that moment, rather than have Roderick go, oh my gosh, I didn't mean that. I, I feel mean so it. bad now. I'm a bad it. friend. Yeah. 
I, I take on that for people because I want to spare them. And I think it's like part of the thing of being so empathetic is like, you want to spare other people bad feelings. So you choose to take on all the bad feelings yourself and then you end up feeling bad. Right. So without even having the other person put that on you. Exactly. Which is like one of the things that you, I think came about during the Vivster days. I'm, I'm pretty sure it did actually was you started to have the realization of like, I'm a bad friend. I don't text message my girlfriends, you know, whatever. And I don't reach out to them. And I think she brought up to you, well, do they reach out to you? Right. She did this beautiful thing with me where she made me realize that I choose to see all the, all the best and give all my friends the benefit of the doubt in any given scenario. But I assume that, that it doesn't go the other way. Like I always in that time period, at least I've gotten better at this in that time. I, I would basically like assume that that friend was going to think the worst of me, not the best of me. So that was a huge realization for me as well is like, okay, I, I could just externalize myself and go, if I was viewing myself as a friend of myself, which sounds super crazy, would I think to myself, oh, you know, give myself the benefit of the doubt or would I think the worst? So that really helped. Um, another thing that the Vivster taught me was sometimes in taking that on for people and in trying to do all the work um, in an interaction, you're actually robbing that person of a growth opportunity. So like you're actually not even giving them the opportunity. And this is something we talked about today as well. You're not even giving them the opportunity to go, oh, I'm like really glad that you brought that up because I needed to see that about myself or whatever. So the Vivster era was like social interactions and social anxiety. And I've gotten so much better at that. And I also learned a lot about not trying to hide who I am. Like I used to have this insecurity about being a super sensitive person and sometimes we'd find ourselves in talks with friends or whatever. And somebody would say something that hurt my feelings and Roderick Roderick. And I would try to kind of like dust it off or play it off. And then it would make me feel even worse because I was trying to hide something rather than just saying like, shoot, that really hurt my feelings. You know, um, I was going to say boundaries as I adjusted myself in my chair, your Um, your own boundaries. (laughs) No, I think you learned through going to the Vivster your own personal boundaries of what you needed. Mm -hmm. So like we would be in a social group or whatever. And instead of after that, um, let's say like friends left our house. And so we still had Clay and Julia who were our roommates instead of like forcing yourself to stay and hang around with them. Even if it was like, Oh, we're going to have dinner. You're like, I have to go be on my own. Like my batteries are depleted. I need to go to, and I even felt for me, like I started to learn some of that stuff from you in the same way that like, I would feel it too of like, Hey, we don't spend time with, with a lot of people. We don't have all these social dinner parties. Uh, I I need some time to myself too. And I'm, you know, I'm talked out. Like I've spent too much time doing this. So an interesting thing too, with that is she was the first one who introduced me to the Myers-Briggs. I mean, of course I had heard of Myers-Briggs before. Um, Which is a paint. (laughs) So what are you thinking Sherwin of? Williams, Myers Briggs, um, Bear, Myers Briggs. Yeah. You got it. There's Which you shade? were looking for it, Benjamin Moore. Benjamin Moore. Thank you. I was looking for you, it. Your brain. Your brain was like Sherwin Williams, Bear. My brain is like get the files, get the paint name files. Uh, so which shade of white are you? Off white. Just uh, straight off white. Okay, I think I'm eggshell. Egg I'm eggshell. Sorry. What if I'm eggshell? No, you're off white. You already said I'm it. Bone. You're mother of pearl. <laughs> how many how many shades of white can you name? Teeth. Bone. <laughs> oh. Teeth, <laughs> gross, man, gross. Mm, who Benjamin Moore's teeth? <laughs> <laughs> Some paint company needs I, to do that. I want to. That just gave me an idea of like I want to start like a parody, like DIY home improvement account where I'm just like I painted my foyer with Benjamin Moore's 
teeth. teeth. Yeah. <laughs> it's, everything's a body part. Yeah. Anyway. anyway <laughs> no. Myers-Briggs is all about the personality types. And so yeah. it's the four letter kind of delineation. And I had never actually done a, what do they call it? A questionnaire, quiz, whatever. Test. Like in life? You'd never done a quiz? <laughs> Assessment. That, that was okay. the super clinical word I was looking for. So I did that. And then at the end of it, I discover that my, for anyone who's wondering, I am an INFJ. And I am a. You are an ISTJ. Cool. And we always say that in these assessment tests that there's probably a, a thing for me because I'm the person who hates taking the test. That's right. You're so the there's like an immediate, oh, the, here we go. He's yeah. an ISTJ. And or you and I are both very pretty evenly split on the E extrovert, I introvert, but we both skew slightly more introvert. I would say more me more than you. But anyway, that's why you, all the, the recharging your battery stuff like resonated with you because I think we realized that, oh, you actually, you know, do can have get a drained. You do have a battery. And a heart. Uh, we're going to get to me. Don't, don't you worry, everybody. If you're thinking or listening, you're like, wait, we, we, we haven't talked at Jason. all about Jason. Um, and so that was a huge eye-opening thing for me. At the same time, I also read Susan Cain's Quiet. So I was just going to ask you yeah. this. Sorry that this is jumping ahead. Um, Myers-Briggs was helpful. Help, super helpful. I was just going to say, if you want to throw out there while we're on this topic before I forget, what are the assessments that maybe you would recommend people to take to learn more about who they are, how they respond to social situations. Is it one or would multiple help? I mean, I started with the Myers-Briggs and I think some people are going to resonate with certain ones over other ones. I just, I liked that a lot. Um, I felt very like seen by the results of that being an INFJ. And then I got to like read up on that. And there's like certain... Like I follow a, a Twitter account called INF Joe. And so he like tweets things that and every time I'm like, yes. So I don't know, like it, it makes you feel like, oh, these things that I thought were like deficiencies in my personality are actually show up in a lot of different people in the world. And it's just like, we all have strengths and weaknesses. We all have ways of, of seeing the world. And especially I think INFJs have this thing where we want to feel understood so much, but we don't feel like anybody really sees us or understands us. And, th and just like taking that assessment and knowing that about myself made me feel understood and not alone. And that was a really powerful feeling. Um, so that was really great. And then, and, and Susan Cain's book quiet about introverts was really powerful because I had never, my whole life, people had called me outgoing, gregarious, right. social, handsome, handsome all the time. I get that. Yeah. Let's like quit already. Golly, jeez. You know I mean? And so I had always thought, oh, I'm for sure an extrovert. And then when I read her book, which is now, I think the learning from that becoming much more pervasive where people know like, okay, it's not just like socially, if you're loud or you're quiet, it's like, no, no, no. Do, does being around people drain you or energize you? And so it drains me. So I need to recharge. So that was a powerful learning for myself as well. And all of that was during the Vivster era. Lifter. So then we moved again yep. to Oceanside, and California, about 45 minutes inland. Yeah. And the irony is that I'm pretty sure La Jolla would have been closer than from Poway to La Jolla. Yes. But just something about the upheaval of moving, I sort of felt like I had sort of run my course with everything. I think also moving out of having roommates True. was also, so it was like, you went to therapy for the social anxiety that kind of came up. Um, I'm obviously just sewing all of these points together nicely into a, a crocheted mitten of your life. <laughs> <laughs> You're so good at metaphorically crocheting. Um, is that you went for social anxiety. And yeah. when we moved 
out of having roommates and got our own place, it was almost like you didn't need that anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that kind of that problem went away, so to say. Um, and so I think when we moved into Oceanside, it was like this, I mean, ironically, a breath of fresh air because we lived two blocks from the ocean and we got a breath of fresh mm -hmm. air every single day. Uh, not that we didn't get that where we lived before, but it was just like this whole new kind of opening up. And, and I think that I even noticed for myself, like when we made that move, we were already really happy where we lived and we really loved being in Southern California, but that presented us with like a whole new level of happiness and openness and just being excited for where we are, what we're doing, our life and everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that has, there's a lot of things that go into that. And I think it, this is another part of our lives where like the stars aligned airplane quotes. Uh, and it's, we aligned, we made those stars aligned. So like right. we chose to not live with roommates for another year, which we easily could have done. They yeah. probably would have wanted to do it, but we were like, this has run its course. You know, we, we've done it. We, we had fun. Um, I had started the Buy My Future project, which was doing really well for us. Yeah. Um, and that was also meant that we weren't like as scatterbrained. Like you were right. focusing we had, more. Yeah, I had a focus. Made Vibrant stuff was going well. That was like right after Better Branding Course got growing, got mm -hmm. going and growing. Um, and so I think we had a lot of business stuff in alignment. It was the first time I think we'd had any extra cash. We hadn't finished paying off our debt completely by that point, I don't think. I don't think so either. I think we were close. Yeah. Um, but everything just, again, like kind of came into alignment. So it was like, oh, don't need Great. the therapist anymore. Yeah. And, and I think that that's been a recurring theme throughout the multiple therapists that you've had now, because I was actually thinking about that before we started recording this. I was like, I wonder if you feel like there were things that happened that you stopped therapy um, in your life or if it was a move that stopped it. Because for me, I look at it as things happened in our life and you, you kind of accomplished what it did, but the move was also part of it. So I don't know if there's a 50, 50. If I'm there. being honest, I think it's a separate than both of those. I think that doing the deep type of emotional work that it requires to like go and expose yourself every. Yikes. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> to emotionally. Caroline did a, uh, just for all the podcast listeners, she did a, uh, what would you call that? A, a trench coat, like a, yeah, that was what the move you had was. Nothing on under the nothing trench coat. Nothing on under the trench coat. Um, but I think to emotionally expose yourself, you know, every other week at that point, like it's draining and it's a lot. And um, sometimes it brings up shit that is really hard for you to see in yourself and work through. And I think that I, because there was no like immediate pain point at that point, like I had kind of healed it a little bit. I it was easy for me to like go, okay, I, I actually don't need this in my life. If I'm being honest with myself now, having been with my third therapist who I love even more, I can totally see the value in going to therapy, even just as a maintenance practice, you know? Um, not that I think you have to, but I think, um, like, and not that I think like, I think I'll get to a place where I'm not going every week for maintenance. You know what I mean? But I think just checking in, by the time that we've moved through a lot of the stuff that we've touched on, I could see me going once a month or once every other month. Well, that's kind of where you are. Yeah, so we're, we're still at every other two weeks. Yeah. It was just because she, she know, was out, out for you, a while. Yeah. But um, So anyway, uh, getting back to the third therapist. Third therapist. We hadn't actually gotten there yet. So we moved to Oceanside. Moved to Oceanside. Great. Didn't have roommates. The Bibster. Sorry, I kind of had to let you go. <laughs> um, hopefully she's still doing her thing. I'm she sure might be she 110 she's by great. now. She probably has, she has all kinds of Goldens. Remember, she had just lost her last Golden and then she got oh, a puppy. I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, I do remember she the got puppy. A puppy. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we moved to Oceanside. We lived there for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then no therapy throughout that time. Nope. Feeling really good. Yep. Moved in here. Moved in here where we 
we currently live in Lucadia, which is just down the road from Oceanside. Yep. And then, so we had just moved in November, and then that's when December hit, if you recall. After and November? December hit? <laughs> no, I'm saying the knowing <laughs> December. You know what, what hit in December, which I think I can talk about now. Go for it. But, so my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Right. Right at Christmas, like two days after Christmas. And so... I was in this weird headspace between Christmas and January where it was all just sort of a blur. Like I just, I was like, what does this mean? How do I process all of this happening? We were just getting information about like what her medical status was going to be. Does she need um, surgery? All of that. So um, I don't want to reveal too many details because I think it's her personal kind of business, but it was early stage. So I think that's probably the biggest question people have is like, how serious was it? Um, it was early stage, but it was a definitely a shock um, to the system. And I think in the early days of it, I was trying to pretend like I had all my shit together. Like I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I've been to therapy. So like, I know how to process things like this and everything. And then it just all hit me where I was like, I'm trying to hold this all together. Like I felt like one of those like stretch Armstrongs that has like all of their <sighs> stretch Armstrong. Yeah. Like things that I'm trying to like hold on to everything at one time and like be there for my mom and be there for my family and try to act like it's not killing me. But, and then it, it just all kind of like hit me and I was just very volatile, like emotionally volatile for a while. Like no. I would, <laughs> no, not you. <laughs> like I would have days where like I would talk to my mom or something would hit me and I would just be wiped out for the whole day. And it became clear to me that in order to work through some of that stuff, I should probably find another therapist. Um, and so I did a bunch of Googling and I f learned my lesson. I was like, I'm going to go with somebody who's local, like very close by, did my research. And that's another topic, which we could probably talk about at the end of like, how do you even find a therapist? Like, how do you know that you're going to like who you find? My approach is cyber stalking. Mm, yeah, <laughs> Deep yeah, yeah. cyber stalking. So I did. Now we're all really good at this, by the way. That's what I'm yeah. saying. So like, why yeah. not? So I did a deep dive, like Googled, found a couple of different names, spent like an hour one day trying to find them on Instagram and things like that. And so my current therapist, um, we, we call her Dr. Annie in this house because every, everyone has to have a nickname. I don't think she's actually has like a PhD. Like I don't think she's a doctor. I in think she's mind, a, she does. a licensed marriage and family counselor, but to us, she's Dr. Annie. Yeah. And, um, cause she's very wise. She, she, it's like an, it's like a, what do they call it? Emeritus. Like I a, don't know what that is. Anyway. Yeah. Are you <laughs> just like, making things up? I don't know. I'm just saying Latin <laughs> words. Um, she's like a Mamarin time. But I remember finding her on Instagram and she had, I saw a couple photos of like her going to a yoga class and her like posting a photo of Brene Brown's book or something. And I was like, she's my people. Yeah. And from the very first moment I walked into her, oh, also her office. She had just moved offices. Very stark contrast from the sitting upright in a like wicker chair. Her office had this like beautiful velvet couch and it had a tree right outside and she had like a crystal in the corner. And I was like, got it. Now I'm the there. Vivster's office was kind of in the middle of those two, wasn't it? Yes. Wasn't great, but wasn't it was clinical. Exactly. It was right. much more comfy. There was like, um, it was very similar, like a couch, very anthropology vibes. Huh. Um, she would always like make me tea. Same with a Dr. Puppy. Annie. She had a puppy. She had a around. puppy, which was yeah. great. Great for therapy. So I just got good vibes and I'm telling you vibes matter when you choose a therapist. Um, and so from that very first session with her, I felt like she just got me like, and she's also, as it turns out, we figured out, 
um, a highly sensitive person. So for those of you that don't know, there is research to show that there's a designation. It's called HSP, highly sensitive. H- it's called HSP? HSP. Yeah, I got that. Highly sensitive person. And it's, you can read up on it, but it's that was another like big thing that I read about in Susan Cain's book, Quiet, where it started to click for me and go, oh, okay, this is potentially, you know, I've thought that this flaw in my personality of being super sensitive was just me being super weird. And it's like, no, there's just, this is how you're wired. You, as you say, are an exposed nerve and you pick up on the energy of a lot well, of people. I mean, as I said here, but I was not the one who said that that was you. Right. The one. Which yeah. I'm sure I probably Let's read. Let's not give me credit for diagnosing. I was going to try. No. Nah. Um, so she, and she does a special type of therapy, which I did not know about. Um, but she explained it to me when we went in with her and I was a little bit apprehensive at first. It's called EMDR. I have the electromagnetic dynamite. I'm going to read it because I'm going to get it wrong. It's called, it's going to sound way more clinical and scary than it is, but it's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Whoa. <laughs> Which sounds like suit. Like I picture like electrodes going on my brain. It's not that at all. Um, it's just this like kind of therapy that was developed where you are basically, I, I hold these little like buzzers in my hand where it's just, just a light that goes from my right hand to my left hand. And you're like one of those kids at the rave party who like throws <laughs> the light around and like, yeah. how did he get in his mouth? I have no idea. You know what I'm talking about? No. Really? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there we like, go. I want to make sure. You, there it is. Now she's doing the dance. Everybody on the podcast. I did not know what you're talking about. Yeah. Now but, you got it. Um, Just picture like a well, it's because I never went Asian to rave parties in a trench coat, wearing glasses, doing, with like, and he's got two little glowing lights that he's like throwing around. Like he pulls them behind his ear yeah. and then out of his mouth. No, and then for me that was at like the roller rink. I never went to a rave, so like people. Well, I didn't that. go to a rave either. I just met a party where there was a lot of things glowing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just so yeah. we clarified. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so back to your your eye. Oh yeah. Eye so that's what EMDR game. is. But anyway, it's it sounds way scarier than it is. It's just a way for you to focus on this like external stimuli while you you kind of. What, I'll just tell you what it is. I don't know the science behind it, but she you pick out something that is sort of disturbing to you in a whether it's through memory or something recent like something that came up that felt very emotionally Roderick making Roderick, right hair. right or for me it would be like my mom's diagnosed with cancer and here's how it okay, made me so feel we and, went from i tried to make it light and, and then you, i brought okay. it back yeah Ugh. to the real and um and then you kind of allow your brain to take you back to all the associations that come from that and I mean, it's cliche, but inevitably you find yourself in these childhood memories of things that stick out to you about needs that potentially weren't met or things like that. And so it sounds, like I said, scary, but it, it brings up so much enlightenment of why certain things are very emotionally charged for you. And then you're allowed to, um, she kind of leads you through this practice of kind of rewiring certain beliefs that you have about yourself based on those experiences and, allowing your more kind of formulated adult brain to kind of integrate those more, um, you know, raw, raw memories. And Oof, man, I'm good. <laughs> and again, I'm probably butchering the science. Like Anne's probably listening okay. to this and it's she's okay. like, come on, man. Does Dr. Annie listen to our podcast? And she had, I told her we were going to do an episode and she's like, would you mind if I listened to it? And I was like, a hundred percent. I'm like, can I say your name? She's like, please do. So and she's like, Ooh. unless I suck. And then please don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just wait, we're going to get to the rest so of So it's Anne Robershaw. <laughs> um, shout out to you. Dr. Dr. Annie. She's Cyberstock. not a doctor, but she's our doctor Cyberstock. in this household. And, um, so anyway, it's been really amazing. And as it turns out, of course, like I went for my mom, but then, you know, I've, I've gotten this whole rich thing of just ways to process different stuff. So it's my mom, it's my dad, it's relationships I have socially. It's all these different things, um, that I've come to learn about myself that I now can, it's our relationship. Like, you know, so 
she's the best. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of interesting. So you, when you first started talking about going to see Dr. Annie, um, <laughs> Just love that we yeah. call her Dr. Annie. Uh, is that I think when you, you look back on the different therapists that you saw is that they, you all, you went to all of them for a separate reason. Uh-huh. And so I, I think when someone might be thinking about like, oh, well, you know, do I need to go see a therapist? It's almost like, I don't think therapy for one part of your life can solve the situations that come up for you in other parts of your life, especially for someone like you, where things can really impact you differently at different times. So there were probably some social anxieties that came up in 2011, 12, 13, but they didn't hit you like they did in 2015. Mm -hmm. And there were probably some family things that came up Mm -hmm. at those times, but they didn't hit you like they did in 2017. And so I think it's, you know, you go and you see a therapist based on all those things and you probably need somebody different or you might need someone different for all the different things. But I think like what you're saying, you kind of have to be ready to, you, you kind of, I think, need an awareness of those things in order to heal those parts of yourself. Um, but maybe therapy will bring some of those things up. I think what we do in this household is you try and get me to help you as much as possible only to realize that's a futile effort. I do my best. (laughs) You're woefully unqualified Uh, for like a month or two. I try, try my best. You do great. Uh, you end up miserable and then we get you to therapy and we're back on track. (laughs) So my question to you now that I've been yammering on about my therapy journey is what is it like from the outside looking in? being a partner of somebody who is trying to work through stuff in therapy. Can you tell a difference? Do you find like, I guess people, I assume people might be wondering like, do we talk about my therapy appointments? Like what's that kind of like? Yeah. I I have always looked at number one, mental health is such a, a, a thing that we should all take care of. And it's interesting. I will get into, I think my side of this and, it's not that I think I am more mentally healthy than you. It's that I think I just handle mental pressure differently. Totally. And so like I'm a compartmentalizer, um, but I don't think I do it in an unhealthy way. I think I used to do it in an unhealthy way. And maybe I do it in an unhealthy way. I don't know. I don't see anybody about my stuff. So who knows? You don't, I'm sorry, what? You I don't see about my stuff. <laughs> um, is that, uh, yeah, it, it, I think we just process things very differently. So knowing that in our relationship from the very beginning, I mean, we, our relationship almost didn't make it. So we realized that we just and were, why is that Jason? Uh, well, uh, one of us is <laughs> a little bit more handsome than the other <laughs> and got compliments all the time, leaving the, the one other one feeling, feeling very <laughs> self upset. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, no, it, I think there was a, just a, a big disconnect from how we both handled emotions and showing our emotions and, and talking about our emotions. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, I mean, my body's like rejecting talking about I know. emotions. I, I, see, I see you with your jokes, but... Yeah, it's my body is rejecting. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, very early on, it was just you, we were long distance and you needed me to kind of fill up your bucket, so to say, especially because your job sucked at the time. And I just, at the time was a very like closed off. I was hardworking. I didn't have a lot of extra time. And so I didn't, I didn't think, I didn't know how to make the space and the time necessary to be like, Hey, I love you. How's your day going? What's going on? Like, well, tell and me about I think it. in f- your words, like emotion and positive emotion did not flow freely from you. And I think we both know where, why that is and where that comes from, which I did know a little bit about at the time, but like, that is a way of you, you had developed that mechanism as a means of self-protection. So I need, I didn't fully understand that at the time or what that meant. Um, so I just took that as, Oh, he doesn't like me as much as I like him, or he's not capable of giving this amount of 
expression, affection, emotion, and that's going to become an issue down the line in our relationship. So we might as well just break things off now. You would have missed out on this. I know. No, this show is what I'm saying. I know yeah. that you wouldn't miss out on this so show. So getting back to your original question yeah. though. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, so always saw mental health as an important thing, willing to, to help you work through in any way possible, but knowing that I was very limited in my toolbox of being able to do that. Um, you know, I, I have my own stuff as you just mentioned and at some point in life, it'd probably be worth me going to see someone to figure it all out. Uh, you know, I grew up without a father, um, then had a couple of stepdads and it just wasn't great. Um, and there's a lot of little nuances and things in there. The one stepfather I did have was not a great guy. And so there's memories there and things there. And there's even like, I have some strong walls of time where I don't even remember things. Which to and me th- is like a very powerful indication that your your psyche is protecting itself yeah, to a for degree. Sure. Um, and look how I turned out. Kick ass. Kick ass. So let's not mess it up. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, my own limitations and knowing those limitations was, hey, let's get you to go see somebody. I, I can't do this for yourself. And obviously you can't fix it yourself. So that first bout of anxiety, I mean, I just remember, like I said, being super helpless. And when you went and when you came back, I remember the first time maybe or two that you went, is it, it didn't, I don't think you felt like it was really doing much, mm-hmm. but from my standpoint, it was a world of difference mm-hmm. because it was like every night you couldn't fall asleep every morning. You didn't want to get out of bed. It was really hard for you to focus, get work done, do anything. And then that started to shift and that started to change. So in my mind, it was like, Oh, Hey, like put that in the, the memory banks. Like this is a helpful thing that yeah. works. And so as time has gone on, you know, when you went and started seeing the Vivster, to me, that was the best thing that you could do because it is same pattern. Like we would talk about the issues that would come up, you know, in the social situations, how to handle them, how to deal with them. I would give you the best feedback I possibly could. I would try and support you the best I could, but I would run into like, I'm out of tools. I've tried, I've tried my love hammer. I've tried my thinking screwdriver. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I, I tried all those things and it got to a point where I was like, Hey, I think you should just go see someone. Mm-hmm. And and so I think even now with Dr. Annie, you know, the stuff dealing with your mom and, and that type of stuff is like, I mean, I even have my, my grandmother had breast cancer twice. My mom had preventative breast cancer surgery, but I wasn't there for either of them, mm-hmm. you know, during that time. And I don't mean that to be like, I was a jerk and I was away. It was like, I was too young when yeah. my grandmother had it. And then I was at college. Yeah. And I just it, think so. it's a different experience being like a mother and a daughter is right. just different. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, so anyway, getting back, like wrapping up my entire uh, thesis here about yeah. how I how I deal with your therapy yeah. is that I just think it's for anybody out there who might be in a similar relationship with a partner or, or somebody else and, and you're feeling like you don't give an, or you can't give enough because you don't have the tool set, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like I never punished myself for feeling like I couldn't help you. Mm-hmm. Instead, I just said like, I'm doing everything I can. Mm-hmm. And then I let you know that because I think that's a big part of this too is yeah. for you to understand like, Hey, I'm tapped out. Like yeah. I've done everything I think I can do. I'm happy to keep supporting you in whatever way I'm trying to do that here now, mm-hmm. but I feel like we might need to escalate this up the the ladder the of people chain. who can do well, this. Well, and not to mention in a relationship, you know, if you're trying to seek healing from your partner, like I just feel like that could be a recipe for disaster because inevitably you're going to set an expectation for them that potentially they don't have the tools to meet. And then that's going to create resentment and it's going to create, you know, tension and those things. So I think one of the healthiest things I could have done was seek that elsewhere. And then I'm interested if you think I'm, I'm realizing now as you're saying this, because I think you have, you've had it like rough, I mean, everyone has a rough, I think, growing everyone, up in different relatives. Everyone has relatives. their own shit to deal with. Everyone yeah. has their own shit to deal with. However, I think you have 
had some shitty circumstances to deal with. And I think if anyone could benefit from unpacking some of those things, it's you. However, I'm curious if you think that your position or your openness to therapy has softened because you've seen me, A, well, A, because of me just being a very uh, emotional, intuitive, sensitive person who likes to communicate about feelings all the time slash seeing me go through therapy and seeing what it has done for my understanding of myself. Do you think that your position has softened over time in terms of like, I know that if the version of Jason that when we first started dating, I would have said, Hey babe, think you should go to therapy about this. Well, I wouldn't have phrased it like that, but Hey, do you think you might want to go to therapy about this? And I think your reaction would have been, no, I don't need that. I'll never go to therapy versus now. I think you have expressed more of an openness towards it. Yeah, it's interesting uh, for me on the openness slash willingness to go to therapy. I mean, I think like, you know, when we first started dating, I just would have been like, no, I don't want to do it. But here's the interesting thing that I have always thought about with therapy, and it's why I've never gone. It's twofold. I I did talk about this in the beginning, my three pillars of (laughs) of getting through stuff. And I don't necessarily think that those things have helped with the deep-rooted stuff. Um, But I do think, number one, all of your going through therapy and just being a more emotionally aware and in tune person has been like my mini therapist in our relationship. Right. And so I think that's, that's been helpful in that respect. I think the other thing, and maybe this is just like what a drug addict says where it's like, I don't think I have a problem. I know. I knew you were going to say that, but I will say that like, I know that I could be more emotionally open toward you. I know that there are some physical triggers that I have, one being holding hands. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like I get a visceral feeling like in the like the hairs in the back of my neck when I hold someone's hand. And it's because of a situation that I had with a stepfather when I was younger. And the, like, why? so why not deal with that? Well, it's because I don't hold many people's hands. <laughs> so it's like it doesn't come up very often. And, it, and it's gotten to a place with you where it still affects me when I do it. But it's not to a point where it was when we first started dating where, yeah. like, it literally felt like a like a tingle up my spine right. um, in the beginning. And I think my response to that would be that your indication that that is something that is worth exploring is that visceral response. Right. And it's that you like my without without like putting that on you my perspective is that that permeates the way that you show up in all kinds of different situations that you don't possibly understand at this point without diving deeper into it that I don't even understand at this point um but I think it colors the way that you show up like those interactions that you had as a kid color the way that you show up in the world and I always think that understanding that is helpful and then I also think like now having experienced the benefit of like some of these very emotionally volatile feelings and having those soften and having some relief from that type of physical response, I would only want that for you. Not just so that I can hold your hand more because like we've made peace with that in our relationship, but because that or, you know, seeing something on TV or hearing relationship or like things where your body just, I see it. I see your body literally shut down because of whatever that interaction is that you saw that takes you back to a place that I don't even think you, you consciously know, but I think well, your no. body takes you back there. No, I mean like a perfect example was we started watching the I, Tanya movie and I was like, I can't watch this. Yeah. Like it just, it made me feel sick to my stomach. Yeah. Um, oh, the interaction between her and her mom. And yeah. Not because of the acting and not because of your mom. Your mom's amazing. But no, yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess the, the reason why I've never kind of stepped up and said like, okay, I'm going to go to therapy too is it's just because I, 
like I don't ever think about it until it's something in the moment. Whereas the difference between how you have always handled this is like it affects you on a constant basis. These things don't affect me, but in a moment blip. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's ever to a point where, at least I don't feel like it is, where it's like it's an unhealthy burden on you that it that these things like trigger me or make me feel a certain way. No, but if I'm being totally honest, this is not the place to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> I really wish you yeah, wouldn't. Yeah, not on this show. No, this is the Liars Podcast where we lie about our feelings. If I'm being totally honest, though, I think that in a partnership and in a relationship, you know, if one person is willing to go there, I, I totally understand where you're coming from of it affects me on a, because I'm more sensitive and I don't have the part of my brain that compartmentalizes the way that you do. Um, I kind of need to do that for myself, for my well-being. But... I also do it because I think it makes me a better partner. It makes me a better person in our relationship, having a deeper self-awareness. And if I'm being honest, like there is a part of me that's like, if I'm willing to go through those emotional trenches in order to be a better partner to you, I think it's only fair to ask that, you know, that you would be willing to go to through those emotional trenches to understand a better self-awareness of yourself and how maybe you could be a better partner to me. Right. I mean, the only unfortunate part of this is that we don't have it in the budget for. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. No, you're going to be like, the only unfortunate part about that is you are not correct. Sorry. Oh. It's just not available in the budget I right now. I will not. What am I willing to give up? <laughs> Doesn't sound like much. Nope. <laughs> I will, I no will, room in the budget. I will say, though, probably... I wonder when we first started talking about couples therapy. Well, that's what it was my next right. topic. So we haven't been to couples therapy yet. Right. I would say I've brought it up on multiple occasions. More than I have. We, I, mainly because I'm just like, God damn it, I can't handle more therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that we have had some discussions or some recurring topics that have come up uh, specifically related to the, the original root of the difficulty in the beginning of our relationship was me not sh being able to be emotionally enough for you at certain times not enough just i think it's the love language just not thing. quite as there. much as i need just not <laughs> what i want ever <laughs> yeah, 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 no yeah, i'm yeah. just i'm very careful to use that word because i know how powerful it can be it's and 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 also i think that's a good topic for like couples therapy potentially is like clearly in the phrasing of that you know, recognizing that that could very easily make you feel like you're not enough for me and what, and how does that present itself in our relationship and whatever. Um, and I think the thing you're bringing up is in every relationship, I think there are a couple big differences that like revisit time and time again. So we've worked through nearly everything, especially the insignificant stuff of like, Oh, you don't do the dishes right. Or blah, blah, like that's not enough laundry. Stuff. You gotta do more laundry, <laughs> more laundry all the time. Laundry every day. <laughs> Can we do laundry three times today? I'm so sick of doing laundry. <laughs> but wait, you're actually sick of doing laundry though. I am not even the metaphor for his sex <laughs> that we're talking about Sexist for all the kids at home. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen with your kids guys. Um, actually that's why we use the metaphor for no but like you know there are just we've we've kind of after eight years of being together we've dealt well, with you didn't round up this time nope just went with eight we've dealt with all of the like silly stuff and, and I feel like the only things that have sort of settled out are the things that there are just a few things where it's like we both can't seem to compromise on that because it would require like 
a tremendous amount of like changing who we are. Right. And so I think even just to get into that, because listen, we're in the, the honesty circle here, you know, with friends, um, is that you read the love languages. Is it a book? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if it was like, cause I know there's the quiz or you whatever. It would maybe be like an Instagram account. No, or... no, no, no. I, I didn't know if it was just like a website with like a thing no, and then a, you take the quiz. I think it was written in like the eighties actually. Yeah. 90s? But anyway, we found out through that cause I took that assessment. I didn't actually just fall into a category was that I show love through acts of service, yes, meaning big one. doing the laundry as often as needed. <laughs> this time we're talking about laundry. Actual laundry. Yeah. Um, and like making biscuits, making coffee and in making the morning, coffee and you know, straightening up the house or whatever. And you show love through emotional um, Word, ways. Yeah. Words, words of, of affirmation, affirmation and yeah. physical touch. But it's, it's also, it's both how we show and how we accept, yes. which is kind of the interesting thing. So, well, that's the thing is I think the crux of the book is like you often show love the way that you hope to receive. Right. Love. And so that's the only part of our relationship where I feel like we have just gotten to like a, a fork in the road and we can't figure out how to get in the same lane. Like we always yeah. depart and go different directions. Well, actually I would kind of disagree with that. Cause I feel like the love language, uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> the love language thing. I feel like we've found a way around it. Like it still comes up from time to time when I'm being less thoughtful about it. Both of us, I would say it goes both ways. Like, I mean, I it's think, an... I think everything's your fault <laughs> on this podcast. We're realizing. <laughs> Good, funny joke, funny, funny joke. Um, <laughs> No, like when we're both making an effort. So when I'm thinking about it, I will go out of my way to try and be more thoughtful and do acts of service, knowing that that you'll like that. Um, And I will even say that a lot of times that happens to revolve around like a birthday or a thing. And I wish that I did that more often, not on like an special occasion or whatever. And I know that it takes effort for you to say like, oh, I'm going to be more loving in a, I'm going to give more physical affection to Yeah, more words of affirmation. More words of affirmation. Because in my mind, and I think this is the hilarious part, and this is what we've run into is like, you'll do the dishes and you do the dishes more often now than you used to. But like, it used to be like one time a week you would do the dishes. I'm just giving an example here. It's a broad example. I'm Don't get not upset. upset because it's the truth. And the truth is not upset. I'm not upset. Uh, is you would do the dishes like once in a week or whatever. And you would feel like that filled up the bucket of Jason likes acts of service. And in my mind, it's like, okay, great. You did it once, but like, could you do it again? Or could yeah. you stop putting your plates on the counter or whatever? And then from my side of it, it was like, I told you you looked beautiful like three Thursdays ago. Like, come on, yeah. man. Like, I filled up that bucket. Yeah. And you're like, no, nah, man, you put a drop in the bucket. And what's interesting about that is that in both scenarios, we both had to learn to acknowledge when the other person was going outside of their comfort zone to be thoughtful. Right. So it's like, it doesn't matter if you think it's ridiculous that doing the dishes one time a week is like so woefully until like <laughs> not as much as a person should do we'll it. We'll see how they, uh, how the, the folks at home feel about it, it in the comments. It was more <laughs> about the recognition that, Oh, she tried. And same right. with me. Like you'd be like, Oh my God, why didn't you acknowledge that? I just told you like beautiful that one time. And I'm like, because you, it's like one time in like a million years, you know, and those types of feelings rather than so, so basically both of us had to learn to stop looking at the glass half empty and look at it half full and just like make positive reinforcement that the other person was trying to meet each other where we were. Yeah. This like turned into less about couples therapy and more about love languages, which I think is interesting. Well, I think it all relates. Yeah. It does. yeah. Uh, so anyway, if we come back to couples therapy, so do you see couples therapy on our horizon? Well, it's so funny because this is our pattern. I think we've brought it up like three times now where we've been like, should we just go to couples therapy and like, work cause it's this at out? this point it's like, 
it's for preventative. Exactly. It's so, not like we think we need it because we're at an impasse. It's like you said, like we've worked through everything. We, we may have this one thing, especially with the love languages that we've figured out how to navigate. And maybe it's not perfect, but it's so much better than it was. And I think it's at this point, it's like, well, do we do this because we want to just prevent anything in the future? Yeah. And we know people who do that. Um, and I think it's just a matter of trying to decide if that fits into our lives. Right. Like it's never coming from a place of like, there's damage here and we need to right. heal it. It's like my whole theory on being in a committed long-term relationship, read a marriage or a committed long-term relationship without marriage is like. So often I've seen people who get divorced because, and this is just my personal theory, that I feel if you take two individuals that are on like parallel paths, we're changing all the time. And so like, you know, you're, you're going over here and you're going over here and, and there comes a point where sometimes you can die. If you don't check back in with each other, I think there comes a point where you can kind of, your paths strongly diverge. Um, and so I think that a lot of divorces come from the fact that without checking back in, those two paths have gone so far apart that there's just no repairing. There's no coming back together. You know, like the, the growth has grown, grown in, in separate directions. And so I think part of the, the reason for therapy is like keeping those parallel paths that are ebbing and flowing and growing just sewn together, you know, and like understanding where each person's changes are coming from, understanding where each person's evolution is coming from so that you can hopefully grow together and make space for each other to, to change. Um, so that would be the reason for therapy in my book would be to make sure, first of all, to talk about some of these stalemate issues where we just seem to like, we, we often find ourselves in a conversation where at the end of it, it's like, okay, well, you just wanted me to be honest with you and this is how I feel. And then it's like, well, you just wanted me to be honest with you and this is how I feel. And those two things are different things. Yeah. So that's in my book, that is a stalemate. So I'm not going to acquiesce just to brush it under the rug or to make it okay. And you're not you're certainly not going to do that because that's not <laughs> your personality. <laughs> I'm just saying my, my inclination would be to be like, oh, I'll defer to you. But I have learned that that is not a good healthy thing either right. so anyway and i would say that just for the folks at home it's not that i always present myself as having the answer to defer to either no right I not just, at all i just wanted everyone to just take a moment no there. not at all it's just you sometimes are more comfortable in sitting in that and my people pleasing qualities can sometimes mold to that in order to again take on that discomfort and just kind of take it on myself but anyway so what happens is, though, I feel like in, in seasons of, like, stress... Was that sneezins? In sneezins of stress, <laughs> stress... When we're sneezing. We, and I think the last conversation that we had, this was, like, March, April? Five days ago. Five days ago. Yeah, months Probably ago. Probably a couple months ago, where we kind of, again, found ourselves in one of these long conversations, and at the end, it sort of arrived at, okay, well, should we just get a couple therapy to, like, talk this out? But what happens is, we always, like, by the end of that long conversation, I feel like we've communicated to the, to the brink of, Oh, okay. Now we're okay. Like we can sit with each other's differences. You know what I mean? Well, and I think one of the things that we, and, and you brought this to our relationship, I didn't have this, um, is that like, you just continue to talk it out and you just, you don't go to bed upset. Mm -hmm. You don't go to bed with things unsaid. And, and listen, we've been together for eight years. So certainly there've been a couple occasions here and there where we haven't fully fleshed it out and we've gone to bed and things haven't been, they've been at a stalemate, if you will. Um, but it's not like dishes were broken and we slept in different parts of the house and you no, know, all those things because we can't afford it. We don't have the budget to break well, any dishes. And my, again, my personality is like, I, I can't, 
I feel it in my body when something is unsettled. And, and you're so, like your, let's say your Myers-Briggs teeth. In my teeth. In your Myers-Briggs teeth. In my Myers-Briggs teeth. Um, so I'm always pushing for closure. So I'm always like, okay, can we just like reach a point of closure? And if you're in a place where you're like, no, it's fine. And I know you're not fine. I'm still going to keep pushing until we get to the heart of it. Um, and so that to me is part of what being in a committed relationship is. It's like s staying there in the place of discomfort until you arrive at a place where you both feel like you've been heard and you've been seen and understood. Um, so do I think that we would, could benefit from couples therapy? Absolutely. Because I think anytime you have a third party who can navigate, you know, and, and they might be able to see things. I, and that I've always can't. said it as like translating between the two of exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's like just, an interpreter, right? We're just speaking different languages is the best way to, you know, to bring it up as a metaphor and we need someone to mediate in between. And but the irony of the whole thing is like, I do feel you want to translate your husband's words <laughs> in Google? It's like, yes, yes, please. God, Google translate. If you can come up with a male to female. <laughs> um, but the irony of it is that I think we are so good at communicating. Well, I think we, I mean, core tenant of our entire relationship is over communication. I think that's how we've been able to work together for years. I think it's how we've been able to stay together for years without, I mean, not a single yelling match ever. Yeah. Um, not a single dish broken, as I just said. Um, and barely any nights gone to sleep where we felt like things were just not buttoned up and fit and kind of fixed if you will. So yeah, I kind of see it the same way. I mean, like I know that we hit these points and it's usually if I had to say like every year and a half or so, it's like when we get to this like breaking point of a conversation where there's just not a good enough closure, yeah. at least where we both have and to feel good. And breaking point probably isn't even, it's like sort of a, yeah, a it's dead a stalemate. end. It's, it's a, a stalemate, stalemate more than a breaking yeah. point. Yeah. Um, we see these differently. I see some breaking language, points. language, but, you know, until, I guess until those things, like the time between those things get shorter, I don't necessarily see it as such an important thing that we need to do. And I think just being open to it, like uh, part of like just the conversation of couples therapy alone for us, I think is in itself a little bit of couples therapy, yeah. which is kind of weird. And I think like Dr. Annie or somebody else would be like, -uh -uh. <laughs> but like, I feel good that we at least talk about it. And I actually feel good for myself personally, patting myself on the back that I've not just said it, I've actually been open to it. So I've actually said, you know, we've been having a conversation and I'm like, I I'm, I'm willing to do it. Like I've, I've looked some people up, like let's, Let's go and see somebody. And if yeah. you're committed, like we can, we can fit it in the budget. Now a therapist for me, I just don't see it fitting in the budget. Like I just don't think we have a room line item well, for it. Very funny. But I do, <laughs> I do think that I wanted to say something to that, which is, again, I think it is so huge in a relationship where whether you are the person that maybe is more comfortable with therapy or less comfortable with therapy, having that partner who's at least open to it that in itself, I feel like is has such a healing power because you feel like that person is equally committed to keeping your relationship strong. So that's my view on couples therapy. I, I, I'm, as we're sitting here talking about it, I'm also like, you know, down the, down the road before we have kids also, it just might be a good idea because I think before you bring humans into the world, well, like having, I mean, imagine if most parents went and had right, some and just ironing before. stuff out yeah. before you, and you know that your, your values are a hundred percent. I mean, our values are a hundred percent on the same page, but right. I mean, even the way that you, um, I should communicate. probably, I should probably be able to like love a child. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be so jealous when you do love our child. And I'm gonna be like, why don't you hold my hand? <laughs> I went to therapy with our kid, father, daughter, father, <laughs> son therapy. Okay. Um, I think that's all the things we wanted to touch on. Um, we have some questions from the audience. Yeah. 
which is kind of fun. Uh, we, uh, I say we, Caroline put up a story on Instagram, and if you follow us on Instagram, at Wandering Aimfully, uh, sometimes we'll ask for episodes that we're going to record, and Caroline uh, asked about this topic specifically, uh, which I thought was interesting um, to kind of hear what you guys, people who follow us, would be interested in hearing us talk about. Hmm. Um, I think this one's kind of interesting regarding therapy. This, this is driving me nuts, guys. What is it? I know we're an hour into the episode, but what your, happened? Mic, your mic is just up too high. Oh. It's not going to change the sound. It's just the way that it looks at it. It looks like your little kid, like, I'm talking to my microphone. Yeah. can't touch the ground. Yeah. Um, Katie Linder asks, how much do you share about this publicly and how do you set boundaries regarding sharing? So like therapy stuff or boundary stuff. I think that goes for every person. I mean, right. obviously this is probably for me more yeah. than you. I think that goes for every person. I I heard this great quote from, I think, Glennon Doyle. Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi. One and the same. Einstein. Who said, people ask her often, how do you know what to share like in your writing? And she always says something to the effect of, I'm probably going to butcher it, but I share from a place of... Um, like a scat, a scar, not an open wound. So this idea that like once something, once you've been through it, once you've been through it, once you have time to process it, once you feel a little bit more objective about something as I have with therapy, I, I couldn't have like done this conversation in, in February when I was first started going to Dr. Annie and my mom's sick and everything. And I haven't even shared very much about, um, my, my mom's journey with health because I do feel like some of that is her, it's her journey and it's her, um, ownership over that. Um, and so I've kept that sort of more private, but once with a little bit of distance, once something has healed over, I feel like you can share about it. And as far as like sharing just the topic of therapy, I remember just the word itself having a hard time coming out of my mouth early on. Like I'm going to therapy, I'm seeing a therapist. And the more I shared with people, this is another reason I'm so passionate about this topic. The more I shared, the more people started coming out of the woodwork saying, I go to therapy. I have trouble with anxiety. I've struggled with depression. Like you guys, this is not a, some type of like defect that we all have. It's that we live in a hyper stressed, hyper stimulated, crazy society where we have this thing called consciousness, which allows us to like be in our heads all the time, overthink about our existence and existential crises and all these things. And it's hard being a human. So like, I think more people need to talk about it. Um, I'm happy to be one of those people who talks about therapy because I, if it helps other people feel empowered to go seek help, I want to do that. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I I don't think therapy should be a bad word. And I think it's like, I I mean, I'm obviously very practical and analytical. So I look at it like in the same vein as I look at debt and money. It's like, if more people talked about debt and money, guess what would happen? We would all be so much less insecure. We'd all be so much less embarrassed. It would just be a better topic of discussion for everybody. And I think mental health and therapy, like, it's just such a weird thing that we have this negative connotation when someone says like, Oh, you're going to go to therapy? And like, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. celebrating that I'm taking care of my mental health. Like mm-hmm. we don't, we don't give people a weird side eye when they're like, Oh, I'm going to the gym. Like I'm going to right. work. It's like, yeah, we get it. Like you should exercise your body. It's the same thing. Like you exercise your mind in this way. So good so question, you're going to start going to therapy. It's not in the budget. I'm sorry. We're going to cut the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cut physical You just health. said it was like that. <laughs> um, so let's see. I hope I say this right. Denam Ray says, what, 
or Dana M. Ray, not sure. What differences have you found between insights in biz coaching versus therapy? And I think this is an interesting question because I was just thinking about this today. Neither one of us have really done intensive business coaching. Never had a business um, coach. But have you ever had a business coach? No, but but I do think that they're different because I was just thinking, especially because this session today was a lot about my own personal struggle with like achievement and external validation and being good in school as a way of protecting against my vulnerability and feeling weird as a kid. Cause I was so sensitive. And I think if you struggle with productivity or needing a push to follow through on things or, um, make progress in this work that you want to do. I think biz coaching is good for motivation. However, I think that therapy from like a licensed therapist is very different. And I think it's so much more about emotional healing. I think business coaching can be that way, but I struggle to direct people only to that because sometimes you can run the risk of thinking that your emotional wounds are going to be healed by you just doing more or being more productive or being better in your career. When really it's like, those are external metrics. Those are things that you want to accomplish, but true fulfillment is not going to come from achievement or accomplishment. It's going to come from allowing yourself to feel truly seen and understood for who you are and truly loved for that. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are stages in, in this where if you're thinking about getting a business coach, maybe you need to check in with yourself. And this is just my personal opinion of like, do I need a business coach or do I have life stuff that I need to sort out that's causing my business to not do the things I want it to do? And I think that like very um, specific example with you where when you were trying to start your business and you were having this like crippling anxiety and feeling all this pressure, it's like, that's not a, you don't need a business coach to get through that. You need someone to help you get through the mental, physical side of that. Um, And so, yeah, I I don't, I mean, we can't speak from experience of having business coaches and knowing what they can solve the problems of, but Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you. And I just personally believe I even had a one-on-one call today with someone in our community and it's it's that the foundation has to be taken care of first because you end up being a leaky bucket and you can do all the business stuff that you want but if you're not fixed and if you're not at a good place guess what money and more customers and all this other stuff is not going to make that stuff all magically better yeah or maybe there's people out there that are like licensed therapists that have moved into business coaching I don't don't know know. but somebody with a background in that type of work we would recommend it no matter what though helpful um This one is from a wild flowers journey. And she said, I just learned I have PTSD from Mm. a traumatic season in my church steps to get healthy and healed. So I don't have personal experience with PTSD. However, I would like to share that. I do know that the specific type of therapy that I've been doing with Dr. Annie EMDR. um, One of the main sort of benefits of it is that um, this type of treatment is used a lot with people who have PTSD. So I know just from my own, like, uh, I think Dr. Annie calls them, uh, little T traumas. So it's like, I didn't ever experience a capital T traumatic event in my life. Um, but there were all these sort of like little moments that I still get triggered from. And so that is what EMDR has helped me immensely with. And it, the best way I can describe it is that certain situations bring about a visceral response, like make me sweat or have a heaviness in my heart or my heart starts racing, these different things. And in being able to go back to, to basically take a target event where something like that is happening to trace it back to, to my childhood or the thing that 
is I'm relating it to in my brain and to reprocess that has been immensely beneficial for me. And so you can follow that same logic for anyone who's been through a capital T trauma in their life. Um, if they have things in the present that are bringing them back to that traumatic place where they're just stuck. Like, I think Annie also describes it to me that, um, Dr. Annie, I think actually just, she goes by Anne. I don't know if anyone calls her Annie (laughs) except for us. Um, but sometimes those things get stuck. So it's just sort of like, if you picture your neural pathways, like you just have this, this event that has not allowed you to fully release that and process it. So I, my only piece of advice would be to definitely see somebody about it. Um, because they're going to help you process something like that, that, um, there is that healing totally is possible. I would look into EMDR, even though it sounds scary, it's not scary. And I would find a therapist that you really trust so that you can start to reprocess some of those, um, events. Or you could just get those light up things that you throw <laughs> back and forth. The, the neon and the, yeah. glow sticks. Uh, I, I don't s- recommend that. I was going to say interesting that you, the Oops. little T big T, the fact that she said it was a, a PTSD with church. Little T. Why is that little T? Little T. Oh, T's. Interesting. The cross. Interesting. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of a weird thing that happened. All right. That's let's funny. take one more question from the audience if you have one. Um, we kind of already answered this one. That was from Latasha. How do you prioritize mental health as a couple business partners? So I feel like we covered that a lot. And then Rachel, Richie said, do you advocate for daily routines? And if so, what are your personal essentials? So I kind of think of that as like healthcare, like, or, or healthcare, um, self-care, like, and prioritizing mental health. Do you have any daily routines that contribute to your mental health? Yeah, for me, definitely. I, I noticed a couple years ago that I was waking up and feeling like a ripple effect of negativity at a time in my life when everything was going really well. So this was, um, right, right after I launched by my future. And that gave us like the biggest, influx of cash we'd ever had. It was an idea I really loved. We were living in this amazing place. Um, we had these fun roommates and like our relationship was in a good spot and it just felt like everything should be aligned, but I felt out of sync uh, throughout the day. And it wasn't every day. And it wasn't to the point where I was like, I think I need to go see somebody. It was more like, what am I doing that could be contributing to this? And what I figured out through process of elimination was every day I would wake up, And I would grab my phone. And if you're listening to this, I'm picking up my phone so you can see that. I would swipe it open. I would look at little red notifications and I would click to Facebook and I would click to Twitter and I would click to email. And I started my day every day reacting to someone else's feelings, experiences, and I was letting all this into my life. And it was causing not an immediate negative, negative ripple effect, but just throughout the day, I just felt this fog. Yeah. And, and so what I, I started doing was, uh, just taking a break from my phone, taking the apps off my phone, eventually turning off all the notifications and starting a morning ritual that I actually took control of how I started my day. Yeah. So no longer would I start up, start and wake up and react to something. Instead, I would choose to do something that provided me happiness. Yep. And so this for me was, I would make a pot of coffee. I would hand craft a cup of coffee. So I would boil the water. I would grind the beans. I would measure everything out. And it became this little meditative practice with no technology. Um, and then I even started reading Calvin and Hobbes in between it. Cause I was like, Oh, well, you know, I want this to be like happy and fun. Mm-hmm. And so that brought like this joy into my life. And, and cause that's what I wanted. I wanted to start my day off with joy instead of this kind of reactionary thing. Yeah. Um, and, and then I allowed myself after doing that for a little while to go, okay, like it, it 
it just was a little weird to like get immediately out of bed and go and make coffee. And I really, at that time had started to enjoy Instagram a lot more. So I was like, I'm going to give myself five to 10 minutes of Instagram on my phone. Cause I'm not a robot and I actually want to look at my phone Yeah. and there's nothing reactionary in there for me. It's right. just beautiful photos. So that for me, it, it solved that problem almost immediately because I removed this negative start to my day that created a ripple effect, yep. not a necessarily immediate effect. Um, and I've just seen the benefit of that for years. And I continue to do that. Some like, similar Version routine. Um, and I'll even find interestingly enough on some days when like, let's say there's not much new in my Instagram feed cause mm -hmm. I haven't looked at much. Or if I go to the explore page and now the explore page is a little bit of a shit show. It didn't used to be. Mm -hmm. And I'll see something that doesn't feel right. Or it's like, I get like weird things like, I don't know, like a car accident or something in my mm -hmm. feet. And I'm like, I didn't want to see this first yeah. thing I woke up. And it's like an immediate thing, like shut my phone down immediately, go and do that. Open up Calvin and Hobbes, like find a happiness moment for me. So yeah. And like take that control back in your yeah. day. Yeah. And I think you starting to do that really trickled over to me too, where I was like, oh, I can be intentional about how I start my day too. So it, that always it looks differently for different seasons. Like right now I'm in a season where I get up and, or I also do the Instagram scroll, but the, here's the way that I wake up. Are you ready for it? I have a, I'm a, a very slow person to wake up. I love my sleep. I can't even just open my eyes. That feels too abrupt. So I pick up my phone and I go to Instagram and I scroll with one eye open for approximately two to three minutes. And then that feels like I can gradually open my other eye. I'm not even looking. I'm just, it's like it's, just, just pictures, things, pictures. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like Jason said, there's nothing calling to me that I need to respond to. I don't comment. I don't look at my comments. I just allow my brain to start functioning. Um, and then my lovely barista husband has coffee waiting for me. So I go get my coffee. And my thing lately is just giving myself an hour to, to do whatever I want to do. So if that's lately, it's been just choosing YouTube videos. And the thing I like about YouTube, which immediately it sounds like, Oh, you're just like watching TV in the morning basically is that I can choose like what emotional state I want to be in. So if I want to be in a curious place, I can watch something interesting. That's about something I didn't know about. If I want to be in a motivated place, I can watch business people that I follow that get me motivated for the day. Um, if I want to prioritize, I need to prioritize my health more. I can go follow like some random crunchy hippie granola person who lives in Hawaii, which I do very often. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to live on a farm order. Um, and so that may not be the right thing for everyone. Like some people might find that too distracting or they can't get out of it. Having that, that one hour where I can sip my coffee and just like Jason said, find joy, find something to stimulate my brain to set me up on a good day. That's what I love. Um, and if I catch myself trying to go to something like Twitter or whatever, I don't do that. Sometimes I'm weak and I'm like, Oh, I want to know what's going on in the world, but I, I have to catch myself. Um, and then another thing I would say just in general to prioritize my mental health is like, we don't typically have our phones attached to us at all times. Yeah, I rarely have my phone. So people I know will walk around the house with it or will just like have it in their hand or have it in their pocket. Um, and I have found that keeping it, oh, like having it be okay to be away from me. Like I probably check into Instagram. I mean, on a, on a, on a heavy day, Airplane quotes. <laughs> maybe like five times, but on a light day, maybe not at all. So I've really trained my brain to not constantly go back and seek that validation and to leave it on my desk or to leave it on the coffee table. Sometimes I lose it. I'm like, where's my phone? I, I view that as a good sign <laughs> if I've been able to lose my phone. Um, and that helps me stay in control. 
so that if I'm responding to comments or I'm interacting with people, um, it's on my terms and it's not that I'm reactionary. Yeah. I think that the interesting thing when I first posted this morning ritual, when I wrote an article about it and the business insider shared it and like a million people saw the article, which was kind of fun. Cause I was like, Oh, this is a great article for people to see on like the other dumb stuff that's been yeah. reposted. Um, was it a lot of people commented like, I don't have the time to do that. Like I don't have 10 minutes to handcraft coffee in the morning. You don't have the time because you don't make the time. That is the truth. You have the time. Get up earlier. If you want an hour of self-care for yourself every morning, guess what? Wake up an hour earlier. You can find the time and you can invest the time to take care of yourself. So yeah. I just think that's a really important distinction. Totally. Um, I would say the other thing that I would challenge people to do if you listen to this and, and maybe if it's therapy is not a thing for you. You like, you don't feel like you have any of that stuff, but you do feel like you have a negative attachment to your phone a little bit. Take a break from it. We need to do Turn a off notifications. On Absolutely. Um, set the do not disturb time on your phone. You can set that. Like there's a little hack for you. You know, number one, you should do it throughout the evening. So you don't get buzzed and wake and woken up by it. But even throughout the day, you could set it for a couple hours throughout the day. Then you won't get the notifications mm -hmm. or just leave the phone in a different room. Like you said. So there's a whole episode there. But uh, the reason why we have our phones near us while recording is because we have a segment on this show. Yes, we do. And that segment is called Wiktifui. <laughs> We're working on an acronym. It's We Googled That For You. We Googled That For You. <laughs> it is something that we uh, have looked up and that we are pretty certain the other person doesn't know anything about. Do you have one for today already? I yeah, you but didn't. we do one an episode, so it's your turn. Oh, okay. I just didn't know if you had one. I have a couple. Oh, cool. All right. So I'm going to take the lead today, and I am going to present you with my, we Googled that for you yes. and for you at home. Yes. Um, Caroline, have you ever heard of Wittershins? No. One of these we're going to do, and it's going to be something obscure, and be like, I actually know what that is. All right. So in the uh, the Wugtafi, the, uh, as we like to do. You now have to... Wittershins. Wittershins. Can you use it in a sentence, please? <laughs> uh, no. No, this is not the spelling bee, what? unfortunately. Okay, but is it Wittershins, one word, or is it Wittershins? Wh oh, word. I was going to make up like no. shin splits. Nah. Wittershins. Wittershins is a rare skin disorder mm -hmm. that occurs when you eat too much cheese. <laughs> wow. Where I went. That's where you went with it. Wittershins. White cheddar cheese. It's specifically white cheddar and cheese. And it's from the Swedish meaning white, which is witter. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Shins. Wittershins. And does shins mean cheese? Nope. <laughs> it means it only shows up on your shins. Okay. Uh, <laughs> How'd I do? Oh, man, you were so Closely wrong. Wittershins, not a cheese disease, uh, <laughs> is a term meaning to go counterclockwise. What? Who knew? Can you spell it? Uh, W-I-D-D-E-R, shins. And the earliest recorded use of the word, as cited by the Oxford English Dictionary, I don't know, it's like, who knows of that thing, uh, is from 1513, uh, a translation where it found the phrase, abased I walks and witter shins start my hair. I'm sorry, what? In this sense, the to start Wittershins means to stand on end uh, and to go in an opposite direction from the usual. I literally just had a moment where I thought I was like dying because I didn't recognize you were saying words anymore. <laughs> where you like said that phrase and then you were like, to start 
what are I didn't sound like an old lady. Well, you so did you know. in my head. Maybe like my brain like zoned like out. Read no, that. but my brain was like, you're not saying English anymore. Okay, yeah. so it just means to go the opposite direction of normal. In the very beginning, it meant to go the opposite direction. It later was translated to just mean going anti-clockwise. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but it, the origin the comes from like just like Going the opposite, opposite direction. Yeah, Wittershins. Wittershins. Man, Guys. this whole day just went to Wittershins, you know? I don't think that's correct. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. This is this is the second time I've looked at this word the other day hey, being the first time. that's a good time. one. Thank you. That's we Googled that for one. you. Wittershins. This is not always going to be word of the day, but some days it will be. And now you have Wittershins that you can take to your friends at home. It's funny because most of the ones that I have, like you can tell I found myself down to like a, 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 a deep hole of like weird things yeah, that the human yeah, yeah, body yeah. do. I've, and yours is like weird phrases yeah, that yeah. nobody knows about, which uh, I like. If you, uh, if you guys want to support this show, it's, uh, there's a couple different ways that you can do that. Number one, one thing I, we haven't really talked about much yet is you can sign up for a Wandering Aimfully membership. We have a monthly Absolutely. membership where we provide business therapy to you. No, not really. <laughs> uh, it could be that for you if you're looking for a community of awesome, like-minded people who can help you do something with your business, your life, uh, maybe achieve a goal that you've been trying to accomplish and you just haven't been able to get it done and you needed some accountability. Yep. With, we, we also have a ton of resources that can help you. Too. Yep. So with the membership, you get access to all of our courses, our software products, the community that Jason mentioned, and then a custom private dashboard where you can navigate basically all of our articles and all of our resources based on whatever you're trying to accomplish in your business or your life. And we open up memberships once a month for yep. one week only and for 30 spots only. So if you want to make sure that you know when the next uh, membership opening is, then get on the email list. Yeah, you can go to wanderingaimfully.com and it should be very easy to find uh, the membership. It's wanderingaimfully.com slash join, but there should be some different places you can find it. And if it's not open, then as Caroline mentioned, hop on the email list. And also if you want to support the show, maybe you're already a member uh, or maybe member buying a membership isn't your thing. You need to come up with a word for listeners. Uh, we'll let that happen. Yeah. Naturally. Uh, leave a review for the show, wherever you listen to it. Uh, Apple podcasts, iTunes is probably the best place to do that. And we do a fun thing with our reviews. We will send you a postcard reviewing your, your review. review. All you have to do is leave a review on iTunes or Apple podcasts, take a screenshot, email that to us. Hello at wanderingaimfully.com. Make sure to include your mailing address and we will send you a postcard, a physical postcard in the mail, actual mail, because we're weird people and we do weird things. And I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Your review will be better if you give it five stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously like anything less than five stars, we're not going to count. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode. We hope it was helpful for you. We had fun talking about this. This is a discussion we have had a lot as a, as a couple, but not really ever had it in a public forum in any way. So I had fun exploring some things. I had a great time. Sorry that the budget's not going to work out. It is. We're going to yeah. find that money somewhere. Sorry. Jason's going to go to therapy. That's what I learned from this episode. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.